And I'm Kitty, and this is the Drinking Like Ladies in Crisis podcast. This podcast is a companion project to our book, Drinking Like Ladies. In our book, we asked women bartenders from around the world to take inspiration from amazing women in history and create cocktails based on their lives. Eventually, hopefully very soon, each episode will celebrate a rad woman doing amazing things. For now, however, we are inviting experts from all genders to offer advice in navigating the many challenges we are facing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we are joined by Lauren Friel, who is the owner of feminist wine bar Rebel Rebel in Somerville, Massachusetts. She's also an undercover poet. In this episode, we'll chat about integrating activism into your business, creating safe spaces, and the challenges small businesses are currently facing. Here's our conversation with Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you. I'm thrilled. My only regret after prepping for having you join us is that I can't be enjoying a glass of wine at your amazing bar with you right now as we're doing this. I know. Oh my God, I want that so bad. Yeah. Like so me bad. Me like too. 10 a.m. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, it's real. It's very, it's very real. It's real. <laughs> yeah. um, for those of us who aren't familiar with Boston, we'd love it if you could just let us know kind of how you got started in hospitality. And also, I, we always like to ask, what made you decide to ultimately stay on this side of the business? Yeah, good question. So I started kind of, I think, as most people do in college, trying to support myself. And I was going to be a poet, you know, so that always works works out. Very lucrative um, career path I chose for myself. Uh, so yeah, so I kind of started out that way and fell in love with a lot of things. And I know that that seems like maybe an oversimplification, but I really did. I really just fell in love. I fell in love with the energy of the industry. And I also fell in love with the financial independence I was able to, um, create for myself, uh, in the industry, which is something that, you know, I think is important for young women in particular. I'm fiercely independent, probably to a fault. And there are reasons, there are good and bad reasons for that. Um, Um, yeah, and I loved it. So I, I started out in college, I ended up waiting tables at, you know, like dive bars and shitty cafes and stuff for many years. And, uh, I, I started working at Savonor's Market in Cambridge, um, and got really into food there. It was my first real exposure to like gourmet food. And that was really cool. And Julia Child used to shop there and I used to watch her on TV and I thought that was really cool. And, um, I just got interested in it. Uh, in that, and I started dating the butcher, which don't recommend, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, but it was good. It was good for like many things, you know, he, he had gone to the CIA, um, the Culinary Institute. And, and so he cooked a lot at home and I just ended up spending a lot more time really like living next to food and living next to the culinary community and, and being in it. And it just felt so comfortable and it felt so good and empowering. Um, 
And I was good at it, you know what I mean? Like, which is cool. It's cool to be good at something. I started, I took over the cheese program at Savonors and then folks would come in all the time and be asking, you know, what should I drink with this cheese? And I had no idea. So I was like, well, I should probably get a job at a restaurant learning about wine. Uh, and I just, I was like, okay, where was the best meal I've had in the city? Um, and I was like, oh, Oleana. So it was, you know, Anna was in the kitchen and Cassie Puma has now the chef at, uh, the chef owner at Sarma was her chef de cuisine. Um, and it was a really cool time. And Karen Akunowitz shortly thereafter came on the line as sous chef. Um, so it was a really cool time to be in the space. Teresa Powpaw was the wine director. It was just a really, really incredible, like powerful um, force of women in that restaurant. Uh, and I, and I absolutely loved it. I learned a ton very quickly. And uh, about two years after Teresa decided to go work for David Chang in New York. And I remember she announced that she was leaving and she was like, you know, you should really apply for this job. And she encouraged me. And so just a couple months later, I was the wine director at Oleana restaurant, which was bananas. <laughs> it was like, I remember walking in one day and the owners like handing me the wine laptop and just being like, good luck. Like, we don't know. Can you do this? Like, it was very much a sink or swim, which was cool. And then I left to start a wine writing, kind of find my way back in, in food, uh, food writing. And, um, and, uh, and then, yeah, now I have a chance to, I had a chance to do my own thing. Well, we are definitely huge fans of your wine bar, Rebel Rebel. I have a two-part question. First is, how did it get its name? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, it's not, there's no, like, great, like, meaningful story about, like, my grandmother or, like, something, which is, I feel like, what people I always want to hear. I was texting a friend about other names, like, what, you know, we were, like, shooting names back and forth. Um, and I was listening to Bowie and Rebel Rebel came on and I was like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, that's it. Like, that's like, <laughs> this is the name. Like, this is the bar. I love that. I knew I wanted it to be a place that was different. I knew it wanted, I'm not, I'm a very loud person. I'm a very opinionated person. Um, and I love setting the stage for that kind of experience in a hospitality sphere. Kitty and I know the bar well. <laughs> Maybe too well. Um, but for those who have never had a chance to go to Rebel Rebel, can you kind of set the stage as to what a visit to your spot might be like on kind of a normal night if there is such a thing in the hospitality industry? <laughs> yeah, your standard evening. Yeah, um, we are a really small space. So we have an eight seat physical bar and then we have like roughly 10 additional seats next to the windows. And we have an outdoor space too. We have around 30 seats outside. And then um, we serve only natural wines. So really small production uh, naturally made, uh, non-interventionist wines. Um, we change the selection nightly, sometimes in the middle of service. It's kind of just a, a list of all the things that we're super excited about. Order a glass off the board, go hang outside. We probably have whatever non-sizhet music uh, the staff is is after at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's, that's like, I yeah. I put, I put Bonnie Bear on one night. <laughs> I remember while I was working, one of the other staff members was like, "Um, excuse me, we don't play Sizhet White 
men here. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Set me, set me straight. I was like, heard, understood. Um, (laughs) That's a big part of the experience. The staff here is um, entirely people who identify as women or non-binary. You know, that's, that's a really important part of, of the core experience here. Um, And what we, you know, really focus on and pay attention to. Um, it's a very safe space. It's there's like a nice pink neon glow that's you know comforting and makes everyone look super sexy. We <laughs> we have our our sex money power signs up all over the place, so it's a little bit loud in, in those ways. But it's also a place where we don't tolerate bad behavior from guests. We don't let guys hit on people at the bar. We don't you know it's a it's a spot that you know you can come and, and have a good time mm-hmm. and have a responsible time and be safe. I remember, so uh, I forget when I was reminiscing about this with someone, but I was talking about, um, actually, I think it was Misty and I, and maybe Lynette, um, but we were talking about how when Milk and Honey first opened, they had like all these rules. And I remember Misty had gone, I was like 26 or five or something like that. And like a little baby. And Misty was like, there's this place in New York where you can't just go up to women at the bar. You have to talk to them quietly. And I was like, oh my God. Like Shangri-La. Yeah, it never occurred to me that I didn't like that. You know, it never, I mean, of course it occurred to me, but it never occurred to me that there could be a space that advocated so um, I just think it's so incredible and meaningful, um, your intentionality about making people feel safe in your Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I know that I wanted for our guests, but also for, for the staff. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't do work without a body and you can't do good work without a healthy body. You know, if I'm going to employ only women and non-binary people, I want them to feel safe. You know, if they don't feel safe, what am I doing? You know, and if we've done it, which is, I think, the thing also that's like kind of amazing to me is that I wasn't sure how people were going to respond to kind of the rules that we set for folks on the website and kind of just, you know, the way that we um, conduct ourselves in the social sphere. And it has, and, and people do feel safe and people do understand that the rules are different when they're in our space and people do tolerate being corrected if we correct their behavior in the space and they do think about their actions and all that stuff is like nuts to me that it's actually, that people will respond that way and that, and that it's actually working. So what is it meant for you to tie activism and feminism into your business and what does that look like for your guests? Yeah, so it was important to me to declare our space a feminist space for a lot of reasons. I am very vocal about the fact that I'm a um, domestic violence survivor, which is an experience that really has shaped the way that I understand and engage with the world now. Uh, not just living with trauma, but you know, having been someone who had to navigate law enforcement and the court system and, you know, work with shelters and being believed or not believed and, and talking to employers about the experience and kind of all the small ways, all the small barriers I came up against um, as a woman throughout that experience really helped me understand the way that our culture and society are not set up to benefit women. And once you kind of experience that and understand that, it's sort of hard to turn to go back to not engaging with that and not caring about it and not wanting to put changing those systemic problems first. And I knew that if I wasn't going to go full on just working in advocacy, if I did want to stay with this industry because it makes me happy, it meant that I had to figure out a way to also 
insert activism into that experience. And for me, what feminism is, is a lot different than I think what a lot of people think about feminism in a pop culture sense. So like, for me, feminism, it's intersectional, of course, at first, um, but it's an equal and opposite reaction to the patriarchy. You know, the myth of meritocracy and competition and scarcity mindset and resource hoarding and, you know, not valuing the body, not valuing nature. And then feminism is the opposite of all of those things. And so like when you stop thinking about it, it's like, oh, feminism is about women and it's about women being equal to men. And that's what feminism is. When you stop thinking about it in those very black and white terms and you think about it as a way of interacting with the world in every juncture, uh, it, it becomes a lot easier to think of a business as feminist or not feminist. And so we engage with feminism in a lot of different ways at the bar. Um, we don't have power structures, really. Uh, everyone has equal say, equal voice. We practice open book management, so everyone knows what's going on. We practice really intentional communication, which is very important, so everyone feels like they're understanding each other, they're being heard, nothing's going unsaid. Um, in terms of like the way that we set up <clears throat> the physical work, nobody works more than four shifts, because again, like you need a healthy body if you are going to do good work. So if you, you need a, a fifth shift for financial reasons, that come up with an administrative day for you. We also like do skills-based role setting. So like not everyone's good at math. Not everyone's good at writing. Not everyone's good at systems management and organization. And like, you don't have to be good at all those things to be good at your job. And then in terms of the, how we engage with feminism from a front of house perspective, or when we're talking about guests, you know, we spend a lot of time actively discussing activism in the space. We give people opportunities to engage with activism in our space, whether that's like throwing some pocket change into the karma jar behind the bar that goes to benefit Planned Parenthood, or maybe this month we're raising money for races, or maybe we're raising money for um, Respond, which is the domestic violence shelter down the street that helped me when I was in my relationship. You know, that's like an easy reminder to folks that there are other people out there in the world who need more um, from us. And it's an easy way to engage with that. And then we do deeper things. We do bigger fundraisers. Um, we do a lot of work for Planned Parenthood and abortion rights. What I'm basically, what I'm trying to do is make activism cool, I guess. It's like, you know, so like we, like I want people to want to do it, you know, if something is cool, people will want to do it. And like, if you can come to the bar and have an awesome glass of wine from a small producer served to you by someone who really cares about it. And while you're doing that, you can be raising money for an abortion clinic in Alabama. Like, that's great. If you can come out with your community and engage with your community and learn about menstrual access in the neighboring town, like, that's great. And it's easier, I think, sometimes to get people to engage with feminism and the activism that should go along with it if they're in a space where it's fun, it's so much more likely that they'll return to that and, and want to keep engaging with it because it's, it's, you know, people are suffering and, and do need help. And, and that's a hard thing to think about all the time. You know what? Think about it a couple times a week when you're hanging out with us, where, when you're with your friends and doing it together as a group and as a community and, you know, let us help you do it and make it easy. So that's a, that's a more of the like, tangible work that we do that people see in from a guest facing perspective that's engaging them with feminism but it's really it's a part of every choice that I make for the business and throughout the day. Hi everyone Misty here 
If you want to stay up to date with what's happening at Rebel Rebel, you can find them on Instagram at Rebel Rebel Somerville and online at rebelrebelsomerville.com. If you're interested in reading some of Lauren's amazing poetry, you can do so by following her on Instagram at vin underscore drop. That's V-I-N underscore D-R-O-P. All right. Back to our conversation with Lauren. Can you give us an insight as to what the last, you know, month and a half has been like for you as an owner operator? Personally, if you'd like to give any insight, no put pressure on that, you know, as a member of your community, from a political standpoint. I mean, it's been a crazy couple of months. Yeah, it's been for me the thing that has been the worst about this experience is like I always kind of knew the government didn't give a shit about us. You know what I mean? Like, I, you're always kind of like, mm, and now you're like, oh, no, like, for, for real, for real, though, like, you don't give a shit, and you're not even trying to make it look like you give a shit. It's, it's a, just a real slap in the face. And the complete lack of leadership, you know, from anyone in the federal government has been astounding, and I think we're really seeing how that lack of leadership is going to hurt every single person. Like I was having to make moral decisions, like moral public health decisions without guidance that I should not have had to have made. We chose to close earlier than was mandated because I couldn't, with a good conscience, keep our doors open. Seeing people crammed into a space together, knowing that there was a pandemic happening, it's like, I guess we're closing, you know? Like, I I don't know, like, I guess we have to. I can't imagine staying open. It wasn't originally a financial issue for us. We were doing fine, but I just couldn't stomach putting my staff at risk, putting other, putting our community at risk. So that phone call, calling the staff, I mean, I'm going to be emotional about this for a long time. Like, that's really tough to, to get all, you know, you're getting the staff on FaceTime, you're trying to get everybody together and you have to say, like, we're going to close. I don't have answers for you. I don't know how long this is going to last. I know this is your livelihood. This is your everything. This is your community. It's your money. It's it's your career. I don't have answers. I can't help you. I don't know. I'll never get over that, ever. It's the worst. This business is truly the most important thing in my life to me and the people who work for me and this community that we built. And just to know that they're relying on you and to, to not be able to be there for them in the way that you want to be is truly the worst feeling in the world. I'm lucky that I have a great team because they've been incredibly like uh, supportive and positive and willing to like roll with it and trusting and, you know, and we're getting through it together and it's awful. Yeah, it's, it's awful. We have pivoted to and I like to say pivoting because it makes me feel like a, a tech bro. Um, <laughs> like I know what I'm doing. Uh, I love like it. I know what I'm doing. But yeah, no, we, you know, we, we, we scrambled overnight is really more of like an accurate description of what happened. Um, you know, we scrambled overnight as soon as uh, Governor Baker said that he was going to allow restaurants to sell beer and wine to go. We scrambled overnight to put like a web store up and just start doing retail out the door. And, you know, it's been a lifeline. I can't pretend that it hasn't been. It really has been a lifeline. It's allowing me to continue to support the staff. Whatever comes in, our bills are paid and then the rest goes to everybody else. That's allowed allowed us to to survive, but it, it isn't good. You know, like it doesn't feel good. It's not our business model. It's not 
what we want to do with our lives. Like it's not our, it's not what I set out to do when I opened this place. It's, it's been tough, but we have on a positive note, we have had an absolute outpouring of support from our community in ways that are very real and very meaningful. Hundreds of people buy gift certificates, merch, um, sent Venmo that, you know, I set up a staff fund Venmo us for the staff support. Um, as soon as we put retail up, people were there putting in orders, um, words of support, messages, letters, cards, sourdough sorter, weed, like <laughs> baked goods, you know, just like, every- <laughs> it's been, it's that, that part, that part in as much as I won't forget that phone call to the staff, I will also not forget the incredible love like very real meaningful powerful love that we have felt since this happened um I recognize that had this not happened I might not have understood how good our community is in the way that I understand it to be now so you mentioned earlier about your intended career as a poet as a writer (laughs) (laughs) shout out to all the poets out there because I know several yes 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 (laughs) And I'm I'm interested in kind of the crossover for you and if your creative side has had an impact on on how you've been able to manage in this particular time and also on your career with Rebel Rebel. Yeah, I it definitely has. I mean, just like any any time you can bring creative thinking to this industry, I think it's great. And it's given me the chance to feel like we can do anything, I guess. Like if you start off, like as a poet, you're kind of like, poetry is like the far end of the literary (laughs) deep end. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, it is bonkers. Um, And I think if you're you're drawn to that, you know, you're probably pretty open-minded and you're probably a risk taker and you're probably someone who is willing to put themselves out there and, you know, try something that other people might say is nuts. Um, yeah. And I think that that's benefited me hugely. Being a writer helps in this business, like being able to write your own press releases and write your own website and do your own social media content. Like if you can do all that stuff, I think it helps. And I, I think that that has helped me a lot, you know, like it saved me a lot of money. That's for sure. I haven't had to hire (laughs) PR or, you know, social media or, or web, folks or whatever I've just kind of done it all which is I will I will take that money now I'll tell you what um (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah it all resonates with me so much because I I too studied writing in school and I too started in a poetry program and I just um you know all the times I was told it was a useless thing to study I know (laughs) I know it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's not. not at all. And I mean, and that's the, that's the, best thing. That's the thing though. And that's the, I'm going to just going to say that's the patriarchy and the meritoc- myth of meritocracy telling you what's valuable yeah. and what's not, <laughs> um, you know, it's, not, it's all valuable. Art is so valuable, you know. Since you mentioned social media, I'd like to ask you about a particular post that we've actually asked previous guests, a post that you made in regards to um, the hospitality industry actually acting as social security 
um, in our country. And if you could share a little bit, you know, for those who maybe didn't see the post or listen to our previous episodes, by the way, you should go back and listen to our previous episodes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you could speak to that post a little bit, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, that's something I posted right after all this happened and we weren't seeing any help from the Fed or from the state really at that point. Um, it was pretty clear that there was a total lack of organization and that we probably weren't going to see anything for a while. And I just got really frustrated because, you know, people were like, oh, restaurants, boo-hoo, you know, all these restaurant owners are so sad that they can't sell overpriced pasta and whatever people were saying. And I was like, I don't think you understand. So restaurants are one of the top private sector employers in the country. We are an industry that is open to folks without formal education, folks without stable housing, folks without access to citizenship, folks who are unemployed temporarily, unemployed in a long-term sense, um, in whatever career form they may have been going for after that. We help students make enough money to pay back their student loans. We act as second jobs for teachers who don't get paid enough to make a living wage just by teaching. We are a flexible industry. We're an industry where you can come to us with no skills, learn the skills very rapidly and start making money within a matter of weeks. You can move to a new city, not know anyone and get a job. You can lose your job and still get a job waiting tables or, or bartending or busing or dishwashing or prep cooking or whatever it is. We provide a social safety net for every other industry. I know that the levels of unemployment in this country would not be so high if the restaurant industry was still functioning. Every day I got a, get a new New York Times tweet about how many more people have filed for unemployment in, in the last week or in the last two weeks, you know, and it's doubling, it's tripling, it's historic, whatever, whatever. If the restaurant industry was still active, that would not be the case because we would take all of those people, they would be able to get jobs with us. That's very real, which isn't even to start talking about the fact that farms depend on us and fisher people depend on us and dairy farmers depend on us. It's, it's an incredible economic post. You know, we're, we hold up so many other industries and we hold up the social fabric of this country. And I think to not acknowledge that is really inexcusable. Yeah. It makes me very angry. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, so how can fans and supporters best support Rebel Rebel and all of your initiatives right now as we navigate the pandemic? So right now we have a couple, there are a lot of different ways to support us um, and, and they're all valuable. You know, buying wine from us right now is, is great. Um, we do have our online shop up so folks can order online. We have contactless pickup here at the shop or we do deliveries on Thursdays. That's great. Like I said, we're just dividing the money amongst the staff now. So, so that goes right to them. We ha also have classes that we're doing online. So there's Zoom classes that um, one of the team members here, Margot, is teaching. She's great. She comes from the tech world. So she's like super savvy with the whole Zoom thing. She brings up like maps and like images. Um, and you can get those wines from us too. So it's basically a guided tasting uh, once a week, sometimes twice a week. They're $10 each. Um, those are up on our website as well. You can sign up through Eventbrite. 
We do have a staff Venmo. If you're sitting at home and you're drinking a wine that maybe we suggested to you once or you're thinking about us even or whatever, just Rebel Rebel Fund on Venmo. But we're trying to do more things that are a value for folks, you know, like the classes so that you're getting something out of it too. We want to keep engaging with the community. So that's a really great way for us to keep doing that um, and help, you know, help keep ourselves afloat. If you can see a positive coming out of the pandemic, what do you see it being? I think that we are seeing a side of humanity that we all really needed to see. I think we're seeing an outpouring of generosity and support and kindness and empathy and awareness for the needs of others that we would not have been given the opportunity to see otherwise. Um, the love, like the pure love from strangers is remarkable. And, and what other opportunity would we have had to have really lived this so deeply? I believe that it will change us for the better in a way that we needed. And do I wish that we could have experienced that without the negativity? Yes, but, but you know, there's, there's always a push and a pull. There's always a positive and a negative. And, and you have to take the good with the bad. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren. It was a true pleasure. Oh, thank you pleasure. so much. I really appreciate it. You're both awesome. Lasco. All right, well... The last thing that happens on every single one of our interviews is what we call the last call lightning round. So these are five questions. Ready? I'm ready. You're in a bar. You don't want to look at a menu. What's your go-to drink? Hemingway Daiquiri. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm here for it. Oh, my. Yeah. I'll take one right now, please. Exactly. Can I tell you, I've tried to make them at home for myself. I am terrible. It is not a complicated drink. I cannot make it taste good. It's like, I can't. It's, I need, uh, I'll take one right now. Yeah. Okay. We know how to help you with that. For the love of God. Uh, okay. So if you could have a drink with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Um, oh, David Bowie. Why, why the fuck not? You know what? I think David Bowie would have so many answers to my questions and my fears mm. in this moment. Yeah. I just, I need <laughs> the, like, the white knight vibes right now. I, yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay, your desert island drink. Just one thing for the rest of your life. What is it? Chenin Blanc. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's like a little a- bit of a hack though too, because like it comes in all forms. So it's like, oh. gives me some versatility. I'm just trying to game the system with that one really. I'm like, it's sparkling. <laughs> I love it. It's uh, you're right there with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So espresso martini, Bailey's or no Bailey's? Bailey's. Yeah, Bailey's. I love it. Bailey's was the first thing I stole out of my parents' liquor cabinet, so it has like a a really 
come to yeah. my heart. Yeah. Like original rebel, rebel, Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and finally, what is your last call song? Dance with somebody, Whitney Houston. Everyone belts it out and they feel really good. And then you're like, all right, now go off into the night. Like, go. (laughs) You're sexy and wonderful. Go home. Thank you to Lauren for joining us today. Uh, this interview definitely made me realize that Lauren is one of the coolest people in the greater Boston area, and also that I totally miss drinking delicious wine at Rebel Rebel. Oh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> definitely. Uh, Lauren is super articulate, and I'm just so appreciative of how thoughtfully she's incorporated her beliefs into her business. It's just amazing. Um, it really makes me feel hopeful that capitalism is something that can be done differently in a positive and inclusive way. Um, I also think she's got the kind of laugh that makes me feel as though I'm as funny as I think I am, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Kitty, you're super funny, and you know it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Don't forget you can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Drinking Like Ladies, and you can find us on Twitter at Drink Like Ladies. And by the way, we've created a Drinking Like Ladies Last Call song playlist on Spotify. Thanks to all who shared their favorite Last Call song with us this week on Instagram. Finally, please subscribe, rate, and review the Drinking Like Ladies podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thank you so much to our amazing producer who makes us sound good, Mr. Chris Boss. In addition to hearing Chris's work here on our podcast, you can actually hear him weekday afternoons live as the DJ on Boston's classical radio station, 99.5 WCRB. You can find that and stream online at classicalwcrb.org. Until next time, I'm Misty. And I'm Kitty. And this is Drinking Like Ladies, a Spirit of Rock podcast. Thanks for listening. Drunk.